Good morning, folks. Great to see you this morning. I'm Steve. I'm one of the leaders here. If you're here for the first time, a big welcome to you. And uh, can you grab your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, there be, should be one in front of you. If there isn't one in front of you, raise your hand. Somebody will give you a Bible. And if, if you don't own a Bible, and that Bible that you're holding in your hand is the only Bible that you've ever been in possession of, take that Bible as a gift from us. Take that Bible as a gift from us. Now we're coming to the end of part one of our studies in the book of Exodus. Exodus, the second book of the Bible. We're going to have a break for a couple of weeks with Easter, and then we're going to kick back into part two of a three-part series that we're going to be doing all the way to the end of July. And the theme of Exodus that we've been following is that God saves and redeems for himself a people to display his glory to them, to dwell with them and live with them, and then to display his glory through them to the rest of the world. And we've seen over the past couple of months that the God of the Bible, Yahweh, has brought salvation and redemption to Israel and from under the oppression and the oppressive regime of the most powerful leader and the most powerful kingdom of the day, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And God's people who were in slavery have been led out of Egypt by the outstretched arm of God. And he said, as he said he would, and we saw last week that God's protection, God's presence, and God's power were with his people as he delivers them through the Red Sea and kills and destroys the Egyptian soldiers who were chasing them. And two verses from last week, Exodus 14, 30 to 31, but what we were left with, and it says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And today, folks, we see how they respond to that. So you've got your Bibles, Exodus 15, I'm going to read the whole of the chapter. Let's read it together. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and he ch his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stopped up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. 
You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stones. To your people, O Lord, pass by. To the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariot and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shear. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water." Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is your word, and we ask that by your spirit, your word will be impressed upon our hearts so our affections for Jesus will be stirred. We pray these in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Over the last four years, folks, a new praise and worship evening has started in the city of Liverpool that has proven to be extremely popular, especially among young Scouse men. Now, it's held in an old theatre most weeks, and this happened a lot, especially before the pandemic. There is an accomplished worship leader that stands at the front with a guitar, and he sings well-known songs and brings new songs to the congregation. And this congregation that is made up of predominantly young Scouse men sing at the top of their voices as they praise and worship with all their being the triumphs of victory. These praise and worship evenings are called boss nights because they're nights that are boss. If you're not from Liverpool, that means good nights, great nights. They're called boss nights. Folks, after every Liverpool game, these boss nights occur where about 500 Liverpool supporters, mainly young men, give praise to the name of footballers. Give praise to the name of a football team for their triumphs and their victories and these players that have achieved so much down the years. See, the response to victory, the response to triumph is singing. It's singing. 
Only a month ago, I was dancing around my front room with the Twiggers, with my family and other people watching Liverpool win the League Cup, and we were singing You'll Never Walk Alone, and we were singing The Best in the World is Bobby Firmino, as Liverpool raised the cup. We had a great time. It was a boss night. It was a boss night. See, folks, singing and praising in the midst of triumph, in the midst of happiness and celebration, is a natural response for human beings. It just is. Now, you might not be dancing around, raising your hands at the news of something that is wonderful, but it's, there's something in you. And even if you're not the greatest singer of the world, somebody starts singing along, you join in. There is a natural response to sing in the midst of triumph, in the midst of celebration, in the midst of victory. And folks, as you read through the Bible, it is full of God's people singing. From Adam at the beginning when he saw the gorgeous Eve that God had provided, all the way to the end in Revelation, where for a whole of eternity people will be singing and praising at the name of the Lamb who was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you read through the Bible, you see that singing is an overflowing response to being captured by the truth of the gospel. And what we have in this passage today is God's people responding to what they have just seen. And folks, let me tell you this. We would respond exactly the same. They're responding to what they've just experienced. And they are responding and singing to what their new reality now is because of what God has done for them. See there, verses 19 through to 21. Miriam, the prophetess, she's the sister of Aaron and Moses. She gets hold of a tambourine because she's a proper Christian, right? She gets hold of a tambourine in her hand with all the women and they go to the water's edge as they see the water coming in over the Egyptians that have been, been, been um, chasing them and they dance, they play music and they sing. Folks, it's like the final whistle of a big game that's just been blown and people are anticipating and they start to sing and they start to shout and Miriam turns to the women who were with her and she says, sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. See, the horse and the rider, he has thrown them into the sea. And together with Moses, back to verse 1, and with the people, they sing this wonderful song of praise to the Lord. So I've got eight things and eight reasons why they and why we should respond in praise and singing to our God. Number one is this. They praise with singing to the Lord because he has won. Verse one. I will sing. The reasons for my singing is because he has won. He has triumphed gloriously. Folks, the victory they have seen through the awesome deeds of God, through the plagues, through the waters piling up like the walls, it says verse eight, so they could cross through but they are singing specifically here because the glorious victory that God has thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. See, God's people are singing because God has triumphed and been victorious over the agent and the instrument of death. Both the agent and the instrument. See, the rider and the horse, the ones 
as they walked through the Red Sea, chased them down to kill them and to destroy. See, the agent being the rider, the instrument being the horse. The agent and instrument of evil, the threat of death, has been destroyed and God has triumphed. Why and how? Verse 4, by casting them into the sea where they sunk. Verse 5, by the floods covering them, they sank like a stone. God's people sing to God in light of his triumph because they have nothing to fear anymore. Amen? They have nothing to fear. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. They've seen the instrument and the agent of death being completely covered over by the sea. And Moses turns to God's people with Miriam and they sing, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. When we were kids, we used to sing. We used to sing this song. In the church that we used to be at, we used to sing, there's people here who will know. And it used to go like this. It used to go, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. But then we change it. Because we would sing, the grave is empty, won't you come and see? Not the horse and the rider. We will sing unto the Lord, because he has triumphed gloriously, because the grave is empty. Jesus Christ has left the grave empty. Folks, we sing to God because he has triumphed over the agents and instruments of death through the empty grave. He conquers sin, the devil, death, and hell, and I will sing, and we will sing and praise because the agent and the instrument of death has been conquered. Therefore, we sing because, folks, we have nothing to fear. Amen? We have nothing to fear. The very thing that people try and, are, are trying to push away through going to the gym, through doing stuff with makeup, so we're doing stuff with clothes, we're doing stuff with mindfulness. The bottom line is the instrument and agent of death is hunting them down. But we who are in Christ, we who are in Christ have nothing to fear because he has triumphed gloriously. The grave is empty. Won't you come and see. Number one. Number two, we praise and sing to the Lord because he is our salvation, strength, and song. Exodus 15 verse 2, it says this, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. See, Israel praised God because he had saved them. They were freed from the grip of Pharaoh and Egypt because of his might and his power. It was his strength that had saved them. And as they sing together, proclaiming that Yahweh is their God, not only their God, but the God of their fathers, the God of promise, the promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And together they sing, my God, our God, Yahweh is my strength. He's my song. He's my salvation. And he's my father's God, and my Father's God is my strength, my song and salvation. Because of this, I will praise him. And because of this, I will exalt him. And folks, if you read through the Bible, you see this theme being repeated and repeated and repeated, especially in the Psalms. In Psalm 140, it says this, O Lord, my Lord, 
you're the strength of my salvation. In Isaiah 12 verse 2, it says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength. He is my song. He has become my salvation. Folks, human strength is inadequate against the greatest threats and challenges of our life. It just is. I tell you that because that's what the Bible says, but I also tell you that because I know that from first-hand experience. Human strength is inadequate against the greatest threats and challenges of life. It's inadequate against sin. It's inadequate against death. It's inadequate against hell. It's inadequate against the schemes of the evil one, the devil. And alone in our strength, they cannot be defeated. We just can't be. But God, our God, my God, your God, has defeated them in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has paid the wages of sin. He has broken our slavery to sin. He has taken the keys of hell. He has defeated death by raising again, rising again. And he has conquered the grave, crushing the head of the serpent. Amen. Folks, to say that God is my salvation and my strength is also to say that God has saved me by his grace. By his grace. He has paid the wages of my sin. See, it was Israel who understood and experienced God saving them, not them saving themselves. It was all him. It was his strength. And it was according to his grace and according to his mercy. Folks, one of the reasons why we need to be singing is because we are saved totally by his grace. Through faith alone. It's not of ourselves, but it's a gift. It's all his strength. It's all his power. And now he is our song. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? It's interesting, when you think of the boss nights, I'd love to go to one. I'd bring the average age up by about 30 years. I'd love to go. But all those men in there singing and young boys singing, are not singing because of the achievements that they have made. They're singing because of the achievements of, that others have made. And we also, as Christians, we don't sing because of anything that we have done. We sing all because of what he has done for us. He saved us by grace through faith alone. Amen. That is a reason to sing. It's a reason for my song. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The grave is empty. Won't you come and see? The Lord is my God. He is my strength and song. And now he is my victory. Number three. We praise the Lord because he is a warrior, verse 3. He's a warrior. Have a look at that. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The word war means hand-to-hand <clears throat> -hand combat. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. See, one of the people who was emerging as a hero of the Ukraine war, which is horrendous, is the leader of the country, President Zelensky. He's been raised, he's, he's becoming a hero in the midst of it. See, when America offered to airlift him to safety at the beginning of the war, he said this, the fight is here, 
I need anti-tank ammo, not a ride. I need anti-tank ammo. I don't need a ride. See, Zelenki is a leader who doesn't run off into hiding, but engages in war for his people. And folks, we praise because our God is a warrior. Our God personally intervenes and he personally wages war in hand-to-hand combat against evil and he fights for his people. He is a man of war. He is a warrior. And it was by the power of his right hand that God makes war with the enemies of his people. Remember in chapter 6 verse 1, after Pharaoh refused to let God's people go, and he commanded that they now had to make bricks without straw. What does, what does he say? What does God say to Moses? You will now see what I do to Pharaoh. You will now see what I do. Folks, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus is faithful and true and righteous, but it also tells us that he is a judge who makes war against evil. Revelations 19 verses 11 to 16 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on the white horse. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has name, his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Folks, Jesus is meek. Jesus is mild. Jesus is the peaceful presence that we all long for with men. But Jesus is a warrior, and he will come in his righteousness, in his faithfulness, and in his truth to wage war against evil. God's people, verse 3, say, Yahweh who is, is the one who is waging war. Yahweh is his name. And folks, the rider who is coming, who is faithful and true, in his righteousness is coming in judgment to wage war over all things that are evil. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we as his people say, his name is Jesus, the man of war who is coming. And folks, can I tell you this? The people by which and who praise him the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against. Him or the church. And folks, that's not defensive, that's passive. Um, that's, that's not um, passive and defensive. That is intentional and moving forward. Light blocks out the darkness. Light pushes back the darkness. We, the people of light, who have the king who is faithful and true, he is coming to wage war on darkness. That is our responsibility with him as our king. As we sing, we wage war on all that that is opposed to him. Amen? We do. And the gates of hell will not prevail against him or his church. He is a man of war. We praise him for that. He will bring justice in ways that our hearts desire. We praise him for that. 
Number four, we praise and we sing to the Lord because of his power, verses eight and nine. Folks, picture the scene. God's people have seen the Red Sea open up like two balls either side. Just picture that scene. Imagine standing at the Mersey, right? And then it opens up, you know what I mean? And you, you'd see toilet seats and all sorts as you walk past. It'd be unbelievable. But imagine, then walk through on dry land and saved by God. See, they sing about the power of God. And they sing about the power of God in contrast to the impotent powers of Egypt. Look at that, verse 8. What does it say? At the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. Just a... And the water's piled up. But look at the arrogance, even of the soldiers. What do they say? Verse 9. Despite seeing the power, the enemies still go after them. And they go after them. We're going to pursue you. We're going to overtake you. We're going to have our fill. We're going to draw our sword. And my hand, our hand, we will destroy. They're like wolves hunting down his prey. But God, verse 9, do you see that? Verse 10. But God in his power blows his wind. And the the seas cover them, verse 9 and 10. See, they could not compete with the power of the Lord. They could not compete with the blast of the nostrils or the blowing of the wind. See, for God, that was enough. And in that display of power of greatness and majesty, he shatters his enemies. Number five, we praise the Lord because he shatters the enemy. Verse six, he has shattered the enemy and now they are free. They're free. It's by his greatness, the greatness of his majesty. It's by his power that he overthrows his adversaries. It says there, he sent out his fury and it has consumed them like stubble in a fire. One of our favorite pastimes as the Robbo's especially when it starts to get a little bit warm, is to go outside in the backyard, and we've got all these, we've got these very fairy lights in our, got, I've got speakers outside, atmospherical speakers they are. Wind and rain and snow, can't destroy them. We get the music on, and then we have a fire pit. Love the fire pit. Get the fire pit out, and we sit there, and we have the music, and we, you know, and we get marshmallows and we do s'mores, is that what it is? With the biscuits and the chocolate and we do that and the kids love it and then we get creative with the fire and it's just amazing. Sometimes we do three or four nights on the run, just getting out in the fire. So <clears throat> even though I'm not an outdoor guy, I know how to make a fire, all right? And I'm not talking about like fire lighters, I'm talking about like a fire. Yeah, with, with, a, with a lighter as well, I just... <laughs> But one of the things that you need to do when you light a fire, if you just get the normal big blocks that you've been collecting and drying out, and you just put that in the fire pit and you try to light it, you might get it going after about three hours, you know, with your little lighter, trying to get a spark. What you need is you need stubble, kindling. That's what, that's what, what that word means, stubble, kindling. And what's great about kindling and stubble when you start a fire, it lights really quickly. But what's really bad about kindling and stubble is that it burns immediately 
it just goes. Sometimes when we've got the fire going, the kids will go and you know, get little bits of twigs and we'll throw it on and you, you see it come up and then very much back down again. See, folks, what comes with kindling with stubble is that it lights quickly, but it is consumed almost instantly. See, one thing that I want us to see here and for us to acknowledge is that God defeated the Egyptians like stubble in a fire. They were consumed quickly by his fury. And what I want us to see and acknowledge is this, and we know this and we've seen this right through this study, that God is a God who is slow to anger. Agreed? He's slow to anger. He is a patient God. His wrath is slow. We've seen that, that he's given opportunity after opportunity for Pharaoh to let his people go. And we as his people praise him for his patience, don't we? Amen? Praise him. Just think about the sin that you committed on the way here. He's patient. But I don't want us to misunderstand and start to believe that God is to be ever tolerant. And therefore, define God's justice as something other than how the Bible defines it. God is slow to anger. But he will also not tolerate evil. And he promises one day to totally eliminate it on the return of Jesus Christ. He is slow to anger, but his fury is quick. And those who are offended by these facts about God are wishing for a reality that has never existed. Because we have a God who is so loving, he gets angry. Because the right response to love, the, red, so the, the, the right response to, to, to something that damages something that you love is anger. The difficulty that we have that we are sinful people, so our anger will overflow into sinfulness. Whereas God is perfect. And he does get angry and he does smash his foes and he does and will consume his enemies and he is majestic in doing so. Folks, at the cross and resurrection, Jesus Christ shattered the enemy. And it's only a matter of time before the devil's neck will be broken under the heel of our King Jesus. And his fury will consume and eliminate him and his effects in an instant forever. Amen? Forever. We praise the Lord because he shatters the enemy. That's good news for us. We sing a song here. This we know. We will see the enemy run. He won't just run, folks. He'll be destroyed. Amen? Number six, we praise and sing to the Lord because there is none like him. Verses 11 to 13. See, the Lord had already destroyed the gods of the most powerful nation on earth. Verse 11, there's no one to compare to you, they say. But they sing of an aspect of his character. 
In fact, they sing of the underpinning aspect that all the other aspects of his character flow from. They sing about his holiness. Verse 11, who is like you, majestic in holiness. Holiness means set apart. You, God, our God, have proven yourself to be holy. You have proven yourself to be set apart compared to all the other gods. He has proven himself to be set apart in power. He, and that power that, that is glorious in and through his deeds and through his wonders, he has set himself apart. But he is also set apart in his Holiness in that he has a steadfast love for his people, a holy, steadfast love for his people. Verse 13 says this, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. See, they are praising because unlike any other God, then and now, he is one who has led them, who has redeemed them and has guided them by his steadfast love. The Hebrew word for steadfast love is hesed. Hesed. And hesed is the love of the will. It's the decision to be. He's guided them by the love of his will. His decision to be with them. Folks, when you attend a wedding, and everyone loves a good wedding, don't they? And what you're experiencing as you attend the wedding is the process of a man and a woman falling in love that gets them to the wedding ceremony. Agreed? No? Okay. You must have been to the most boring weddings, right? Two people who have fallen in love and they get to, that's why you're there to watch that because they've fallen in love. It gets them to the wedding ceremony. And what you see as they exchange the vows is the decision to be. They make a decision. It's a love that I decide in front of you and all these people, and most importantly, God, that I am going to be with you. I am going to stay with you. It says, I'm in. I'm not going anywhere. I promise to be steadfast. And it's this love of the will, this decision to be, that keeps people married. If love was just a feeling... Many of us will be married three, four, <laughs> many times over. But the love that keeps you married is not a, a feeling. It's an act of the will. See, folks, God, unlike any other God or fake deity, looks at his people and says, I'm in. I'm not going anywhere. I will be faithful to my promise and I will lead you by this love and I will redeem you because of this love and I will guide you all the way home. There is no one like him, folks. There is no other God that even makes that promise in the midst of a people that have rejected him and that walk away from him, that ignore him. He says, I'm in. Try as hard as you may, but you won't get rid of me. I'm going to be with you all the way. I've been married for nearly 22 years. Been together for 26, married for nearly 22. And I know Sean's love for me is steadfast. I know that. I am 100% certain of it. And in this world, there is nothing I am more certain of 
accept that God is even more steadfast than her. Even more. He's not going anywhere. He never has, he never will. Whatever I do, whatever I lose, whatever I gain, whatever happiness or sadness I face, he's in and he's with me. Folks, I deserve his fury, but instead he pours his grace and steadfast love on me. Amen. There's no one like him. There is no one like him. What more reason do we have to have to sing? Something that the cop want you to know, but the best in the world is Bobby Firmino. See, Bobby wouldn't say that, because Bobby knows Jesus. And Bobby said, there's something that I want you to know, the best in the world is Jesus. And the steadfast love that he pours on him. Number seven, we praise him because of our, our future is secure. They praise him because of their future. See, folks, what has happened here? The most powerful nation on earth has been brought to its knee. The sea stood up and it swallowed the Egyptian warriors. And the people praised because the nations have heard the, and they're terrified. Imagine, they're terrified. Their pangs have seized them, it tells us there. And they can't move. They are terrified to see this and to hear this. As you read there, it talks about how Edom and Moab and Canaan were, were seized and they were terrified. What's wonderful, as you read through the rest of the story, what you see is that actually this, these, these are the people that God's people face as they enter into the promised land in this order. They will meet the Edomites, the Moabites, the Canaanites in this order. You read it in Numbers and Joshua. They are praising God because the people that they are going to meet and have an encounter with and have to go to war with, they are terrified. Now, folks, they're not terrified of Israel. They're terrified of Israel's God. Because Israel were not impressive. They were slaves. Imagine slaves for 400 years. Even the big men would have been small. And I know they would have worked hard. And I know they would have worked hard. But, they, but, but folks, they were battered. They were not terrified of Israel, but they were terrified of Israel's God. But they also sing about the security of their future. In verse 16, they recognize themselves as God's people who have been purchased by him. They recognize themselves as the people whom God will give a place to in the promised land. At Mount Zion, verse 17. They recognize themselves as the people in whom God will dwell amongst and they recognize the people who have a God who will reign forever they sing because their future is secure amen and we also sing because our future is secure folks it's totally secure the Bible tells us that we have been born again to a living hope and an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and it's kept for us all because and according to the great mercy of God and through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of him, our future is secure. Amen? Nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear. Financial worry, which is big for most of us now. Financial security. Can we pay our bills? What's it going to be like for our kids? We have an inheritance that is secure for us in Christ. Amen.
We have no reason to fear. Yeah, we will face encounters and we will face battles and we will need to trust him with all of our being. But he, with his steadfast love, says, I'm in and I'm with you and what I have won for you is secure for you. Amen? Amen. Our future is secure. Death has lost its sting. The grave will not hold. The devil is ultimately impotent and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Amen? Amen. And number eight. Folks, it's so important that we praise him and we sing as God's people in light of these truths because we are quick to forget, aren't we? What happens here, verses 22 to 27? Israel have been saved by God. They've seen things that we couldn't even dream of. They've sung about the security that they now have and the reality for them. But then they travel three days into the wilderness, they find water that's bitter, and what do they do? They grumble. They moan. They moan to Moses. They forget that God has done all of this to save them. Surely he can do something with this bitter water. But they grumble and they moan and they're quick to forget. Folks, we need to sing because Singing teaches, singing unifies, singing forms us, and singing reminds us. It reminds us. See, our future is secure. We need to be reminded that because some of us may go three days, maybe even just three hours, or maybe just three minutes, and then we forget, and then we grumble. So singing is a great reminder of who God is and what he's done for us and who we are in light of him and what he's promised. Amen? And when we don't feel like singing, we should sing. We should look around and see the joy found in other people's faces because that's infectious, isn't it? It's infectious. What we see here, even in their grumbling, what does God do in response? look at this more in a couple of weeks time what does he do he makes the water sweet he then later on gives them shelter he gives them water and shelter how good is our God amen amazing grace amazing mercy amazing love these are often the things we forget we need to praise and sing at times to be reminded of them at the boss nights, these young lads, in their minds and because of their experiences, have reason to sing. And to some extent, I agree with them. How much more, folks, do we have reason to sing to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How much more? How much more? See, let me deal with this as I close. Singing and responding in song as God's people is not about personal preference. It's not about personal preference. It's integral to the life of the church. It's integral to what it is to be part of God's people. Folks, it's integral to discipleship. I used to stand on the cop many years ago. I'm sorry for the little football illustrations, but I can't think of anything else that's appropriate. I used to go 
We used to go and stand on the cop. And when I first went as a kid, we used to go and I used to take Carl and uh, we'd go and stand there. We, I was about 13, he was about 10. Imagine sending you, standing on the cop at 13. My mum said she never did. She did, all right, she let us go. All right, mate. Before DBS checks and stuff, it's no problem. All right, okay. Anyway, so we, <laughs> we stand on the cop and we'd stand there and you just like overawed with the amount of people and the passion and singing and we didn't know the songs. But people sang them and sang them around us and we learned them and we got to know them. And there were some songs that we had to like not sing because we were Christians. So we put in like other words or hum and then we carry on. See folks, singing is part of the discipleship of the new believer. That's what happened to me in the football stadium. I was being discipled by the other guys. This is what we sing and this is why we sing it. It's an important part of discipleship and it's an integral to the discipleship of the next generation. We are to teach our kids the wondrous works of God and we are to teach them how to sing at the top of, the top of their lungs in response to them and in response to him. We are to do that. And husbands, fathers, it is your responsibility it is your responsibility. Please don't look back in years to come and think, why doesn't my son sing? If our passion and our enthusiasm is greater for something other than Christ, when we name his name, we have to consider our ways. We have to. And folks, I'm not saying you have to sing in a certain way or raise your hands. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm not saying you have to dance. I'm not saying you have to go on your knees. I'm not saying you have to do it. But you need to sing from something that is true within you that pours out. And consider your ways and examine your life compared to the other things in life that bring out that passion that your kids see. Because there's no one like him. There is nobody that loves you and sticks with you like him. There is nobody that has exercised their power and his power to save somebody like you and someone like me. So let us sing and sing as a response. Let us sing to unify. Let us sing to form. Let us sing as a battle cry against darkness. Let us sing to edify. Let us sing to remind each other. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And we're going to remind ourselves, because we're quick to forget, through the bread and the wine. And we're going to remind ourselves as we sing of those truths. And we're going to remind ourselves as we sing songs, and even a song that we sang last week, right at the end. And I know some of you don't like it because it feels like a football chant and it feels like we're marching, but that's what we're doing. We are marching against darkness. It is a battle cry. We sing and we sing and we sing for the glory of God and the good of his people. And all God's people said, and all God's people said, Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. And we ask, Lord, we ask from the bottom of our hearts, help us sing because our hearts have been captured by the truth of the gospel.
forgive us. Please forgive us. Forgive us for singing for the wrong reasons. Forgive us for performing. Forgive us for pretending. But also forgive us for not allowing you to penetrate every ounce of our being. And we thank you that as we sing, we remind ourselves of the truths that we've spoken about. And as we break bread and drink wine, we remind ourselves of what it cost you to purchase us as your people. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We thank you that you took all our sin, all our shame upon yourself and you made us whole. We thank you it's all by your grace. Thank you that you've opened our eyes by your spirit. Thank you that we know this truth. Thank you that this is the greatest thing that the world needs to know. So help us to be a people who sing and respond and live a life and a tune and a melody that is all about Jesus. I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Let's eat the bread and drink the wine as it comes. Folks, what I would ask is, if you are not a Christian, if you are not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you do not eat and do not drink. This is for people who know this song. These are for people who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus. This is for people who, who know what it is to be saved by him. But I would also ask, ask yourself this question, is he my strength? Is Jesus truly my salvation and is he my song? And if he's not, close your eyes. Thank him for what he's done for you. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life and into your heart. Then eat, then drink. Be reminded of how much Jesus loves you. How much he loves you. And then join with God's people and all the generations that have gone before. My father's God. Our father's God. The Father's fathers, all those who are in the throne room of heaven, all those that will come before, all those who are praising at the name of Jesus and join with us. Because in the gospel, we all have something to sing about. We all do. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. My chains have gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, He's ransomed me. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Let's sing now. Let's sing. Sing and eat and enjoy.